Welcome to Indie Matters, the show from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, up here in Reno. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis down in Las Vegas. We are off this week, but we wanted to replay you some of our favorite stories from 2021. Starting with a story from reporter Janelle Calderon and a story she reported on learning loss and the struggles students are facing returning to the classroom after COVID. Then we have an interview with J.B. Leckenberry, owner of J.T.'s Basque Restaurant in Minden, on what it means to be a Nevadan. Then we also have a segment from Michelle Rendells and Tim Leonard on the state's push to retrain workers who have been displaced in the pandemic and prepare them for high-demanding jobs. And to wrap it up, we have CEO John Ralston on the show to chat with Joey once again about movies to wrap up the year. The COVID-19 pandemic exacerbated existing problems in Nevada on many fronts, but especially for K-12 education. Students and teachers were forced to shift to online learning, and that stressed the state's education system in a way that it never had before. Many fear that the shift left students behind, putting them at a disadvantage now that in-person schooling has returned. To learn more, reporter Janelle Calderon spoke with two members of an advisory committee studying the concept of learning loss in schools. Earlier this month, the Nevada Advisory Committee to the U.S. Commission of Civil Rights published a report on the topic of learning loss during the pandemic-related shift to online education. The U.S. Commission on Civil Rights has an advisory committee in every state to assist the commission with fact-finding, investigations, and community input on issues of potential discrimination with the goal of advancing civil rights. Through a series of five meetings this spring, panelists settled on 14 findings, ranging from a lack of adequate internet connectivity for schools to the urgent and still relevant need for more mental and behavioral health professionals. The report is sent to the governor, elected officials, the Nevada Department of Education, each of Nevada's school district superintendents and school board presidents, and the Nevada System of Higher Education Board of Regents to take a look and consider ways to resolve the highlighted issues. I recently interviewed Wendell Blaylock and Sandra Cusgrove, chair and vice chair of that committee. Both said they focused on studying whether distance education had the potential to widen existing inequities between students' populations, especially for students with disabilities, English language learners, rural residents, and students of color. Blaylock told me it all sparked from a moment of frustration with technology. The second voice you'll hear is Committee Vice Chair Sandra Cusgrove. We were having either a Zoom or Skype or some sort of meeting, and I was experiencing some connection issues. Yeah, his, his, his internet kept going in and out. We're like, oh my gosh, I wonder how kids are able to go to school like this. And we went, oh, wait a minute. You had principals saying, hey, students have disappeared and we don't know where they're at. And so then we were thinking, okay, probably what's going on? Who should we talk to? <clears throat> and so this, this report's been different from other ones because we were truly trying to do like real time stuff. And I think we pulled it off, but boy, it was kind of scary there for a bit. And, and every county is having major issues with mental and behavioral health and learning loss. Because I mean, I know we're seeing at the community college this semester, because our new students graduated last spring. And there's definitely, they're, they've had trauma, they're not being very resilient, they have some gaps, and, and some of it's just even brain development. A few things have changed since the last meeting of the committee. 
Students throughout the state, including populous Clark County, are back to full-time in-person school, though some options for distant learning remain available. The committee is now looking to publish an addendum to the report. Well, I know we've gotten feedback because um, when we did the very last um, open meeting, there were, there were folks from the State Board of Education going, wait, we've done a lot of this stuff. Here, let us send you, you know, information. So we'll end up putting that on as an addendum. But I think in real time, they have been doing some stuff. Yes, 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 they have. And I, I would like to point out that in addition to CCSD, it was a public-private partnership with connecting kids and a yeah. number of our community partners that ensured that every student had a Chromebook. And a hotspot. And a hotspot. Yep. And I don't want to exaggerate, but I believe Nevada was the only state, according to Superintendent Ebert, that ensured that every student had an electronic device and a hotspot. They hope that millions of federal aid dollars will help the state continue addressing the issues highlighted in the report. The report said students have experienced learning loss due to a range of reasons, but it is not clear how much or what type of learning loss. It will be important to treat mental health issues, family circumstances, and learning loss concurrently because each is as a serious interrelated problem. Emergent English language learners had additional difficulties adapting to distance learning due to a lack of information being provided to their families in a native language. Nevada school districts should offer distance education as a choice for parents and students permanently. With the ongoing pandemic and now some families feeling their children do better in distance learning classes, having the choice to continue with the distance learning modality should exist permanently. We've identified the problems, we have the money. And so that's why we actually put out an advisory letter, a letter of concern in over the summer, saying a bunch of money's coming into the state. We're expecting elected leaders to listen to the community, you know, have oversight of where the money's going and address long-term problems. Because we have a lot of needs in this state. And so there's gonna be lots of people who are gonna need that money. So what's the top need? Blaylock and Cosgrove say there are two, insufficient broadband internet infrastructure and a dire shortage of behavioral and mental health providers and services. Recent reports have found the ratio of school psychologists to students in Nevada is roughly one for every 2,000 students. But the National Association of School Psychologists suggests schools have one counselor for every 250 students and one social worker for every 400. The stigma will probably lessen because of the pandemic, because we all need counseling now. And everybody realizes how being isolated can make you anxious and that it's not your fault if you're feeling depressed. But lots of parents, lots of advocates, lots of allies see this as a moment where we can actually fix things like workforce development. But you know, there's a connection between the teacher shortage and the mental health professional shortage. Because if you've got a teacher that's got 40 kids in a classroom, even just having one child that's high need, whether the student is autistic, has a physical disability, is having behavioral health problems, the teacher ends up getting kind of this split personality where she's trying to give that student everything they need and 39 other students. And so she doesn't have like a psychologist or any type of support staff helping her or him. That burns teachers out. 
Right. Yeah. And so there is a connection. And there, there are pay issues. There, pay. there are a number of issues yeah, pay. concerning education and teachers. Yep. And if you look nationwide, teachers are now getting pushed back from parents because of the curriculum. There are a lot of challenges that I think we are poised to address here in Nevada. So in Washoe County, I discovered, in Washoe County, they pay the school psychologists on the administrator's pay scale. In Clark County, it's on the teacher's pay scale. And so when you look at the amount of professional training a school psychologist has to have, they need to be on that administrative pay scale. And so that means if you're somebody doing a psychology degree, you're much more likely to go into private practice or go someplace else because the school system's not going to be that attractive. To keep up on learning loss and other education issues in Nevada, you can find Janelle's reporting on our website, thenevadaindependent.com, where she is covering education along with reporter Jackie Valley. We'll also keep an eye on how measures such as the infrastructure bill that passed in Congress could help address some of these recommendations, including improving broadband. This piece was written and produced by Janelle Calderon and edited by me, Joey Lovato, with additional help from Michelle Rendell's. We've now got an interview with J.B. Leckenberry, the owner of J.T.'s Basque Restaurant in Gardnerville, Nevada. Reporter Jackie Valley talked to him about what it means to be a Nevadan for our 200th episode of the podcast, which aired in September. So my name is Jean-Baptiste Leckenberry, but they call me J.B. I'm from Gardnerville, Nevada, born in Carson City Hospital. When I came home, I came home to the J.T. Basque Bar and Boarding House. My parents bought it in 1960, growing up because everybody was working at the restaurant all day, all night, naps and the crib and everything was right in the boarding house. That's where I started. 1970, all of Douglas County had 6,882 people in it. Carson Valley was primarily agricultural at that time with mining. Growing up in that time, so I'm, you know, neither my mother or father were from Nevada. My, my father was from Orsaitse, France, in the Basque country. He came over as a sheep herder. And then my mom was from Topanga Canyon, Twin Lakes area, where my dad was herding sheep. They met there at sheep camp, and then he married her, and then they were still on the ranch. But then shortly thereafter, they bought the restaurant. By 1980, the population had gone in 10 years from 6,882 people to 19,421 almost tripled. We used to, we used to, at, at six o'clock after the first dinner bell, we could, we could go throw the football right down 395. And then if a car was coming, you had plenty of time to move or ride your bike. And I can remember my brother with his 12 gauge shotgun going out to Lester Stodics and shooting doves. So you had this whole agricultural outdoorsy experience just laid out in front of you. People want to say the West is dead and gone or something, or there's no such thing as a real cowboy anymore. And I got to tell you, I know a whole bunch of young guns that are really, really handy. And there's still going to be cow business in this Carson Valley. You know, there's been a, there was a good concerted effort for conservation easements. And so that means that ground is going to stay, you know, primarily we're cow ground here. And so that's going to stay that way. And it's given these guys an opportunity. What about the Basque culture? Is it still pretty alive and well? 
Now there's, there's these Basque schools. You can learn Basque, but they have these immersion schools in the Basque country. So like my son and daughter speak better Basque than I do. And before you couldn't do that. Spain wouldn't allow you to do that. France wouldn't allow you to do that. America wasn't doing that. It's now, now the culture, I feel we have almost a better chance now. The kids that are younger than me or like my kids age, they learn about their language. They learn how to dance. They learn how to play the music. They learn, you know, they learn all these things. The opportunity's there and it's thriving. I am very hopeful and very optimistic and do believe just kind of like, don't tell me the Cowboys are dead because it's different, but it's going on. But being in Nevada is somebody who's been born with and raised with the ability to learn. We, we listen. We're not very prejudgmental. We're, we're open to many things. We've always been able to be like that. I think it goes back to the, we've had good examples of lead by good leaders. We used to have good political leaders. I don't know if there's any left, but they lead by example. The opportunity, I think, coming from Nevada has always been that we're capable of learning about each other, about your culture, celebrating your culture, celebrating your lifestyle, celebrating all those things. Maybe don't take too much, you know what I mean? Kind of straight up, but capable of that. And that, I think that's what really it means for me to be in Nevada. The pandemic ravaged the job market, leaving tens of thousands without work and on unemployment or fighting with the unemployment system to get those benefits. But more than a year and a half later, the United States is facing a labor shortage. That's true in Nevada as well. There are job openings in many industries and not enough interested candidates to fill them. Some workers simply don't want to return while others can't get their jobs back. The shifting labor landscape has reinvigorated the state's effort around job retraining. Tim Leonard and Michelle Rendells reported on the story. The loss of 50,000 jobs, whether that's to automation or that's to um, industries that are no longer here or businesses that are no longer in, in, in operation here in our state or um, people moving out of the state or w any number of things that are associated with that. Um, that's definitely something that's on the front of our minds. Caleb Cage is the Vice Chancellor for Workforce Development for the Nevada System of Higher Education. Coming from the state's COVID response team last year, his new focus is aligning the system's retraining efforts with the volatile post-pandemic labor market and individuals' shifting preferences about career choice. I think we have no control in that process over the individual decisions. I think we have control over um, what we offer how we meet the moment. Our responsibility is to make sure that we are flexible and innovative and can make sure that when somebody has made that decision that there are opportunities that are available to them through the public higher education system in Nevada. For some people, that means leaving their previous career behind to pursue certificate programs at a community college in a trade like welding. I was an executive chef at the Beacon Bar and Grill in Lake Tahoe, the executive chef of um, Park Prime Steakhouse and uh, Hard Rock Hotel. Wrote menus, food costed, um, pretty much did everything, trained employees. 
Joe Baker went to culinary school and never planned on leaving his career as a chef. And then COVID came along and um, shut it all down. Everybody went to their parents and left, you know, the restaurant. So I lost all the training and all the people that I had trained. And it just shut down the whole restaurant. Once you have nobody to cook, it it destroyed the restaurant that I was in from the bottom up, a place that was doing $50,000 a day to zero overnight. When restaurants started to reopen, he felt the new regulations were too onerous. And then coming back into the restaurants, there was just too many restrictions, too many hoops to jump through, OSHA in California, um, mandates for masks, mandates for distance. I already took all this in culinary school, so it's like science changed in, in, in the world, I feel like. It, it, everything changed. And it didn't just make sense to me anymore. So I chose welding, where I'm kind of my own employer. Our community college system is set up uh, for what we call the non-traditional learner. Cage says these institutions will play a big role in retraining older students who might be coming from other careers. You know, Truckee Meadows, Western Nevada, Great Basin, College of Southern Nevada, this is their expertise, right? This is what they do and have been doing for decades now. Providing opportunities for workers who have a family, have day jobs, or have, you know, only limited opportunities to pursue certificates. Um, I think being able to provide asynchronous training and education where people can go in, take training or receive education on their schedule, I think it's going to be a really important part of that. I think making sure that there is um, plenty of outreach and plenty of awareness of the opportunities that are available to them is going to be key. The counselors here are super helpful if you go into the main office and just sit down with them. They'll walk you through the scholarships and they'll even tell you other scholarships you might be missing and uh, to, to get enough money. Like, my, this whole thing's paid for and I have $35 left over in the scholarship money. So out of pocket, nothing for me. And, um, and I'm changing careers, like I said. Uh, my culinary school was $54,000, so <laughs> I feel like that was kind of a, <laughs> a waste of money now. I, di- I didn't want to leave my career. Um, like I said, COVID kind of forced me down that path. I I enjoy cooking, I still kind of do. Nevada leads the nation in unemployment at 7.7%, compared to the national average of 5.2%. While that is much lower than the pandemic high of nearly 30%, Nevada's recovery has been slower than other states. Cage believes that workforce training needs to align with efforts to diversify the state's economy. I'm a native Nevada, and I believe uh, an awful lot in the the grit and determination of this state. And I don't think that there's anything that could stop us from doing something like that in the long term. And, and I think it's really critical for us to keep working towards it. Anthony Simmons worked a number of different jobs before finding his calling as a truck driver. But in 2017, he suffered a back injury while working in his trailer that required multiple surgeries and years of therapy. Afterward, he was given a choice between a cash settlement or vocational rehab. It is a difficult decision. I was never a great student. I'm dyslexic and you know, I've got some other uh, you know, issues in that area with learning disabilities and stuff like that. I had a choice. Basically, you can take a payout 
or you can get voc rehab for two years. It's very scary. And being a big guy, people would think that, you know, you, you know he doesn't have any fear and all that. Dude, I'm telling you, it, it's scary. And it was a hard decision for me to make. And uh, even to this day, it's still, you know, like, wow, how am I going to get all this done this week? You know, somehow I manage it, you know, along with everything else that, you know, you have to adult. I'm going to be 47 in a couple of weeks, and I'm in college with a bunch of 17 and 18-year-olds. I feel like there's a positive outcome as long as I put the work in, which that's what's required with anything. As long as I put the work in and put the focus in um, and try not to stress, it's going to be great, you know, and the future is bright. Simmons has started working towards a degree in landscape architecture and hopes to use the skills he is learning to teach people. Along with Baker, who we heard from earlier, Simmons represents a growing subset of higher education students who are changing careers in their 40s and 50s. They're taking advantage of programs that incentivize training for in-demand skills. Every day I get to come into the office and work on these strategic efforts, right? These, these things that I think have the potential to transform the way workforce development, training, education, higher education in the state of Nevada are delivered. My oldest is seven, my youngest is two. They're going to be participants in this system. I hope my daughter goes and gets a welding degree from WNC while she's there for uh, dual enrollment in high school. Say learn a trade because the, we need welders, we need plumbers, we need electricians, and they're, they're far and few between right now. And um, I, I have friends that would take on five plumbers right now if they could, and same with a lot of the other businesses. To read more about unemployment, the pandemic recovery, or anything else related to this, check out the NevadaIndependent.com, and we'll have more stories on job retraining in the future as well. This story was reported and produced by Tim Leonard and also reported by Michelle Rendells. It was edited by me, Joey Lovato, with additional help from Jackie Valley. Now we have a discussion between me and CEO John Ralston about movies. We'll kick off in the middle of the conversation when John and I debate the worst fake accent in a movie. So inspired by the House of Gucci trailer, uh, most egregious bad accent committed to film. Yeah, I, I, I should have thought about this uh, a, a little bit more. I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is. What is the answer, Joey? I think of the answer is John Malkovich's French accent in Johnny English. <laughs> I, have, I have not seen that. I know, I know about that movie and I know his accent has been mocked uh, in, in that movie. So that, to me, that, 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 sounds, that seems good. You know who gets mocked for accents all the time is Meryl Streep. And, and she does a great job, I, I think, uh, on, on, on adopting uh, other, other accents. And so um, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think Gabby will probably tweet at us what, the correct answer is. Sure. I, I, I'm, there are tons of bad accents in movies, but John Malkovich is, and I think it's supposed to be bad. I mean, it's Rowan Atkinson. It's a very right. goofy comedy, um, but it's so bad. It's good. I mean, it is, it, it makes the movie. His French accent is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, so check that out. All right. Clinton Pope. 
he asks, and I, I feel like I'm being mocked in this this question already before I before I even ask it. But uh, it is best movie about water that isn't about water. There's only one correct answer, and I know John knows it, and Joey probably has never seen it. Joey, I, I saw that tweet, and, and uh, you know, I, I I don't know what Clinton's talking about. I I really I feel like is I should. Is the answer Waterworld? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no, I, I, I mean, that terrible. Waterworld, I've tried to get through and have never been able to, but I thought maybe The Shape of Water, which, by the way, may be the worst movie ever to win an Oscar. We should have talked about that before. That's 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 up there. It's so overrated. I uh, don't think The Shape of Water is a bad movie, but it getting Best Picture blew me away because that year was also Lady Bird and Three Billboards, which are two of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, Lady Bird. Lady Bird is, is not an Oscar-worthy movie. I liked it a lot. Um, I, I, I love Three Billboards, and, and, and that was a very controversial movie. A lot of people uh, didn't like it. There, there mm-hmm. was something else that up that year that I think should have won. I don't remember what what, what, what it was, but I, I really don't know what Clinton's ta- talking about in terms of about water. But not, I, I mean, I mean, the other answer was we could talk about is Dune, which we have been raving about. I mean, that yeah. movie is about water and the fact that there is. I, I thought that might be what he was talking about, um, Joey. And, and uh, I did not like the first iteration of Dune when I saw it. I know you're a Dune freak and I didn't read the book. My brother read the book and loved it. Um, uh, uh, but I, I thought I thought the the latest version, which I saw first on HBO Max and, I, and then in the theater, uh, I, I liked it a ton on HBO Max. But you see it in the theater. It's just an overwhelming visual achievement. It's just incredible. And I think it was more understandable than the first one. It was annoying how it ended. And it was part one and all that nonsense. But um, uh, I think he's the best director uh, working. He's directed like five great movies. Yes. Yeah, I recently watched um, one of his first movies, Incendies, I believe is how you say it. It's French. It's a French Canadian yeah. movie. Uh, horrific. Uh, just absolutely one of the most depressing. Good. Very good. Just so depressing and sad and bleak, <laughs> um, but very good if you want to watch a very sad movie about what war does to a family. Um, but I mean, also, but in terms of sci-fi, I mean, he's had three out of the park knockouts. I mean, Arrival, Blade Runner twenty. 2040 the new blade runner 2049 go on 2040, you're right yes 2049 and 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 now dune and, and i i mean as someone who absolutely loves the book i don't think you could have done a better adaptation of that book there is i i do, i see almost no flaws in it i'm from from a ad, adapting the book to the screen um whether or not you like the story or not i think there are flaws in the book there are flaws in the story of the movie obviously uh but as a as an adaptation i gold the gold standard yeah um all right so um one of the last questions we have here and and i can check our 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 live stream to see if anyone has any questions there um as well but is what uh this is from elizabeth rogers uh what is the best movie set in nevada that actually says the state's name correctly now elizabeth i have to say i've seen a lot of movies set in nevada i cannot remember which ones stand out to me where they say the name incorrectly and i did not have time to watch the movies to check to see if they said the names incorrectly so i'm going to answer this as what are some of my favorite movies set in nevada uh john what are some of your favorite movies set in nevada oh, go ahead joe you can go first okay okay well i've got tremors uh very i love tremors i love kevin tremors. bacon fun yeah. fun um uh oceans 11 the the new one I, I watched the original oceans 11 and i think it's just a bit dated for me it, I, I, the rat pack is iconic but them acting it, it didn't really work for me it felt old I, I was jumbling through it um i know it's 
iconic, but for me, you're, you're right about that. And, and the Soderbergh movies are much better. They're so yeah. good. Yeah. They're really fun. Um, then, so th- that's a great, and then I'm a defender of the hangover. I think that the first, the, the set, I don't know about the sequels. The first hangover is a good, goofy comedy it's not a great movie but it's for what it is i think it sets out to do a good job i think it's very funny um i i like the hangover a lot you're not going to get any argument from me the sequels were not that good but the first one was really really well done and Mm -hmm. and uh you know it's kind of weird now watching it thinking about what a huge star bradley cooper is now to see him in that movie and and, you know in that role but 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 anyhow um yeah, the hangover is good. The answer to this question, and again, I don't think there are many movies where it's mispronounced. No. Uh, I may be wrong, but the answer to the best movie set in Nevada that 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 um uh, where the, the 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 name is pronounced correctly is of course Godfather Two. Oh, uh, yes, <laughs> which, which is not completely set in Nevada, and you can even you know say that there's some scenes in Godfather One uh, that, that, that are, that are in Nevada. I'm Mo Green. Anyhow, um, <laughs> um, uh, uh, the Godfather and Godfather two are the obvious answers to that question. Joe. Mm-hmm. So, all right, well, we'll wrap up there. Uh, I will say this to people, uh, watching or listening, uh, that, uh, I have followed every one of Joey's recommendations on movies and he has not steered me wrong yet. So, Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank you for tuning into our show every week. You can find everything you heard today and more on our website, thenevadaindependent.com. This show is produced and edited by Joey, with additional help from Michelle Rendells, Riley Snyder, and Jackie Valley. If you want to support the show, tell a friend, share it on social media, and support local journalism however you can. Our theme song is from the band People With Bodies, and we have additional music from Storyblocks and original music from our own Joey Lovato. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next year. Thank you.